Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And I just want you to know it is, uh, man, it is an absolute joy uh, to worship with you. And I really want you to know that your presence and participation here, doing this all together as the body, is a true gift. And so thank you for joining us. Those of you who are listening online, thank you for joining us through our live feed. Um, Before we get started, I want to point out in your bulletin, on the inside right, there's a blank space, and that is there for you to use uh, for jotting down notes, questions, comments, uh, quotes, whatever it is you want to do, drawing pictures, doodling, you name it, whatever will help you stay engaged with this morning's teaching, that would be fantastic. And if you're listening online, I'd recommend you grabbing some paper to do the same. Today, we are going to dive deeper into our sermon series entitled The Impact of the Resurrection. And if you have missed any of the teachings from this series, I highly recommend you going back and getting caught up. They have been fantastic. Here at One Life Community Church, um, we fully and completely believe that Jesus is the one life that changes everything. It's the first part of our name. It's the first part of our vision. It shapes everything we do. And as a result of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, everything we know, how we see the world, how we treat others and ourselves, uh, how we deal with issues of race and power, the choices we make, what we do with our money and time, who and what we follow, how we see and experience power and beauty, literally everything is impacted by the resurrection of Jesus. And so this morning we are going to look at the impact the resurrection of Jesus has something that every human being deals with every day, all the time, and that is with regards to our hope for the future. But before we begin, I'm going to open us up in prayer. So join me. Oh, Father, Son, Spirit, as we have engaged with you, as we have been reminded of your death and resurrection through communion, as we have breathe in the spirit help us be reminded that you are the God that conquered everything the world could throw at you death could not hold you down help us understand what it is to have a relationship with you Holy Spirit and what that means for us in the future what it means for our hope and God I pray that you would communicate to us not just in a a way that touches us cerebrally, but that touches us internally and uh, touches our spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get started too far, I want to lay down a little bit of a foundation that I hope we can all agree on. Did you hear what I did there? Hope that we can all agree on. And uh, just kind of as a foundation, the first thing I want us to think about is this reality that everyone, doesn't matter who it is, everyone hopes. We are created in such a way where we put our hope in various things, either covertly or overtly, all the time, every day. Be it people, test results, the weather, how a team's going to perform if something will hold you up like a chair, to how a movie or TV show is going to end, to your car starting in the morning, if food's going to taste good, if you throw something for your dog, you expect and have this hope that they're actually going to go get it and bring it back to you, you name it, um, can we all agree, for better or for worse, we are people of hope. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, 
So just double checking. Now, this leads me to the next point I want to talk about that I also hope we can agree upon. And that is this idea that our hope or what we put our hope in varies. And depending on what it is we are putting our hope in affects how much we're willing to do, how much we're willing to invest in, or if we're even willing to put our hope into it at all. For example, I may put my hope in this seven-day forecast that says it's going to be dry and sunny and warm for seven days in a row. But I have a history of our weather not being all that accurate. So although I may hope that that's true, the amount of hope and investment into that idea may not be all that strong because I have a history of that not being my reality. So even though I hope in it, my experience of it, my desire for it to be true, what I invest in it, it's limited. But on the flip side, the longer I've had a strong relationship or history with something or someone like my wife, for example, who's up here, uh, it affects how comfortable and trusting and willing I am in putting my hope into that relationship. So my hope that she's going to take care of paying the bills on time increases every time she does so. And over the last 17 years of marriage, I'm super hopeful of that because she's so amazing compared to maybe our first couple months in marriage, right? My, my hope into that reality has grown. Why? Well, because unlike the weather, my wife is quite consistent and reliable. She's sitting there, so don't hurt me. Uh, because, but... Uh, what I'm putting my hope into or attaching my hope to is more assured. I'm more secure in it. I feel more comfortable and connected to that. Does that make sense? Think about a chair, right? You come in here every week and you sit down and that chair holds you up. And so you don't even really have to think about it because the amount of hope that's there, it's got history. You don't know if someone came in and took out the bolts or anything. And so when you go sit down, you just fall flat on your face. You don't have to think about it because the amount of hope that you put in there is fairly secure because you have history and relationship with it. The Sounders are a great example of this. Two years ago, the Sounders won the MLS championship. And last year, went to the championship again, got second place. They've had two great seasons in a row, and they make our city hopeful for more. So far this year, though, they are tied for the worst record in the league including yesterday's game, which last minute had the opportunity to go, they played 85% of the game with a one-man-up advantage and could not score a goal in front of 40,000 people. That is causing the hope in this team to go down, right? They should have put this team away, and they didn't. Why? Well, because although we have had and gotten accustomed to and been secure in something of their history, it's not showing itself to be the case now. And then when we're witnessing it and we're watching it, we're groaning and frustrating because we expect something to happen. Our hope is for something to happen and it doesn't happen. And so the more assured or confident I am of something, the more hope I'm willing to put into it, into someone or something. And the more hopeful we feel, the better, right? We're always looking to feel more hopeful, not less. And I think we can all agree that we would love to have some more. But why? Why do we hope for anything in the first place? Why do we see life in our world in any moment with some desire that is constantly in the future? That is constantly not yet? 
a quote I will always remember, although I have no idea who said it, was hanging in a house I lived in during my college years, and it said this, hope is faith's disposition towards the future. Hope is faith's disposition towards the future. Why do we hope? This is a good question. And I would argue that the reason every human being hopes is because we live in a broken world. Nothing in our world is perfect, which means we all suffer in various ways all the time. Be it small ways like hoping it won't rain, and shockingly it rains. Or sitting down to watch your favorite TV show, and the remote is not where you hope it to be. Or bigger things like hoping a close friend or family member will be healed of cancer. Or that you're going to have a safe, warm place to sleep in at the end of the day. Maybe another way of saying it is that uh, we hope because nothing is quite as it should be. Not yet, anyways. And although we see glimpses of glory at times, we long for something to change, to be different. And we all do this. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for hope is this word, tikvah. And it has this root meaning of a cord or related to this idea to twist, to twine, to attach. And it's fascinatingly related to the historic meaning for the word where we get our idea of a spider web. And if you think of it, so much of our hoping has this spider web quality to it. It's this quality of incredible strength out of weakness, of spectacular beauty from this tiny, insignificant, even petty strands of our living that we attach to various things in order to hold things together into the future. And we all live in and we all live by this network of hopes, each one ideally lending strength to the others, and all of them somehow supporting us, lending us into future. Yet, if you think about spider webs, as amazing as they are and as strong as they are for their size, um, they are broken every morning. That's what suffering is. When the rain, the wind, fate, or to be more blunt, death, brushes our reality, then the network is damaged. It's torn. The web falls or completely fails. And then again, we're asked, what then? Where then is the hope that can carry us into the future? Not just into the future tomorrow, but beyond death and beyond. What do we attach our hope to? And this is something as humans that we are constantly asking ourselves whether we realize it or not as we go through our day. Russian author and poem writer Dostoevsky says this, to live without hope is to cease to live. And we've maybe even experienced people, maybe even ourselves at times where we feel like we have no hope and we think, what is it worth? At the core of every human experience, there's this sense that all is not how it should be. From the minute we are conceived, we are born into a world that is broken and is full of suffering. Our first sounds as we enter in the world are crying because we know instantly something isn't right. And this has been the case ever since sin has entered into creation. So, 
to explore how this resurrection of Jesus impacts our future hope, we're going to look at Romans chapter 8. And so if you have a Bible, if you would please open it to Romans chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 12. Um, that would be great. And if you don't, no worries. Um, the, the text will be displayed on the wall behind me. It's full. It's, this is a meaty text, so hopefully you can follow along. It goes like this. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs of deep, uh, too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, to go back, Paul begins by making this contrast between two ways of living. And these are consequently the two ways we live pretty much every day. We have a choice and there's consequences to those choices. These are the two options we deal with and try to wrestle with every single day. One is the idea of living according to the flesh, which the scripture says ends in death, or living by the spirit, which leads to life, which seems like a pretty easy choice, right? But what does that mean, to live according to the flesh? How do we understand these two choices? Living according to the flesh is this idea where we live uh, in a transient way, a pursuing self-interest at the expense of others um, and ignoring the presence of God. And if we think about it, all of us do this all the time. This is, we have experience with this. When Paul talks about living by the flesh, he's not talking about the flesh that adheres to our bones. It's this word sarks in the Greek, and it's this metaphor of our human tendency to possess all that brings immediate satisfaction to us, no matter what regard to anybody else or God. And the text says the consequences of this way of living is death. And to be clear, this word death is a metaphor as well. It's not talking about a physical death, but dying to the self as it intent, God intends, right? This is a spiritual 
death. Now again, that's living by the flesh. Then he talks about this other option, living by the Spirit. And the reason why he brings this option is because it's only by living by the Spirit that we have the power to put to death the deeds of the body. And Paul associates the body here, that word soma in Greek, with human weakness. And that we can't do it alone. We need the Spirit. Because the body is mortal. Although it is not sinful in itself, it's this place where sin seeks to have dominion. It's open to failure. It's open to corruption. But Paul is confident that the believer, the follower of Christ, can put to death those deeds of the body that are sinful by the power of the Spirit. And the text says that the consequences of this way of living is life. Or literally translated, you will live. So here, this idea of this metaphor for life is this concept of truly living, life to the full, the life that God intends for each of his children to experience, a life led by the Spirit, one that is constantly being made new, one that's being transformed, one that's being resurrected, if you will, all the time by the Spirit. And so the distinction of these two ways of living are at the very core of how and what we attach our hope to for the future. And as the the text says, the consequences of each of these choices is very different. It's a matter of life or death. So with that, let me ask you, how is your relationship with God? Do you even have a relationship with God? How are you interacting with the Holy Spirit? Do you even know what that means? Are you a follower of the resurrected Jesus? Or you just like the ideologies and the theologies about Jesus? You like learning about Jesus. There's a difference. Because this is all about relationships. Because as I said before, the stronger the relationship I have with something or someone, the stronger and more assured I am at attaching hope to it. And so notice all the relational language Paul uses here. Paul says that there are all those who live by the flesh disregarding God, who are constantly putting their hope into anything and everything to better themselves however they can. And he says, ultimately, it never works and it leads to death. He then uses a cluster of words from the realm of family to describe the freedom that believers have living in a relationship with the spirit of the resurrected Christ. Listen to these terms he uses. Daughters, sons, Abba, which is this super intimate, personal, relational way of saying daddy. He uses the term father, children, adoption, heirs, and joint heirs. The vocabulary describes relationships within a family and of a household, one of which you're never alone. You're never isolated. You're always supported. You're connected with the Spirit of God as well as the body and the family of God, which I don't know about you, but whenever Scripture uses language that I can connect to, I understand, is super helpful. And Paul says, as followers of Christ, everything changes. Our hope changes because we are no longer alone trying to get through life by ourselves. We are attaching our hope to something different. No longer doing so and finding everything we try to do on our own never works. Now, as followers of Jesus, we're given a new life. We are adopted. We're part of a new family. We have a new identity. We have the Spirit of God with us 
all the time, no matter what. We have a future inheritance from God, which is the very same inheritance Jesus has as the true Son of God. Amen? That sounds hopeful. We were dead in the flesh, in our sin, but now by the Spirit that conquered death, the Holy Spirit of the resurrected Jesus Christ, we are spiritually made new, we are transformed, and now spiritually alive to experience life to the full, no matter what we're going through. Notice, Paul never says that living by the Spirit means we will never suffer. I wish it did. It does not. Far from it. What it says, though, is that how we experience or get through our suffering changes because of the hope we have in the spirit of the resurrection. Paul actually gives us another powerful image to help us understand our future hope. So let's, let's look at that. Starting with verse 15, he says, When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. So Paul makes it clear that those who are living by the Spirit of Jesus should expect to suffer in our present, but that that suffering in the present doesn't even come close to comparing to what we are now assured of in Jesus for the future. Whatever we're going through now can't compare to what is to come. So Paul says our suffering doesn't go away yet. Anyways, then he continues, verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So here we get this new image of labor pains in connection to hope for the future. And with it, I want us to attach to a couple things. First off, I want us to see that this idea of our future hope in the spirit is connected to an image of waiting. And not just waiting, but waiting with pain. Sounds lovely, right? We're all like, yeah, just what I wanted. Um, it's very important for us to note this as followers of Christ, that we are not perfect people. We don't have pain-free lives. We don't avoid struggles or issues. No, we all experience suffering pain because ever since the fall, our world is broken. And childbirth has actually been a reminder of this truth from the beginning of time, this image. But I also want us to see that although the image is one of suffering and waiting and pain, it's also one that includes expectation, transformation, and new life. It's a picture of our world that includes both beauty and pain, not only one or only the other. 
but both together all the time until the return of Christ. In other words, the message is not the pain will produce a future good, which unfortunately we've been told a hundred thousand times. Because the minute the child is born, as amazing as it is, it's also immediately introduced to a broken world. The message of the image of labor pains is actually far better understood this way. That our present agony, the present pain, whatever it is we're laboring through, will not always be with us. Whatever it is you're going through, it will not always be with us. Amen? Martin Luther King said it this way, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. This is a really important distinction to understand and it can only be understood through a relationship with the Spirit. Why? Because even though we know it's an absolute lie, on our own, we like to think we're going to get ourselves through whatever that suffering is. And at the end, we're never going to suffer anymore. Everything's going to be great. We live in Disney. It's not Disney. That is living by the flesh. So it's no surprise why people can feel as if they have lost hope. Because they've attached things over and over to things that cannot do it. Because there will always be struggle. Life gets crazy real quick, and suffering is something you cannot avoid. Just like the mother who has been waiting months and months for this baby to be born, experiencing every kick and every labor pain along the way, longs and hopes for it to come to an end, they know that when the pain of childbirth is done and the baby is born, that it doesn't mean no more pain in life, right? There is the moment. Hope fulfilled. New life. There's rest and delight and transformation. There's celebration and there's tears of joy and there's love and praise. You name it. But there's also absolute exhaustion and healing and sleepless nights and raising a child and those diapers and paying for college tuition and more. It, it's beauty and pain woven together all the time. Amen. For better or for worse. Right? Emily Dickinson said it this way. To hope means to be ready at every moment for that which is not yet born and yet not become desperate if there is no birth in our lifetime. Friends, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus is what future hope is built on. Because we know that in this life, we all will have troubles. We will have trials. We will be experiencing suffering all the time. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we have true hope for the future because Christ has proved to be victorious over everything the world could throw at him, including death. And by living in a relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we're never alone. We are empowered. We have a future inheritance because we are now God's children and co-heirs with Christ. We now understand the already and the not yet to come. There is so much more that I could say about this text. It is absolutely loaded. We have no way to cover it all. But as we close, I do want to end with one more thought around this image of labor pains. 
And I want to do this because I think it's a picture that we can all relate to and understand in some form or fashion. We have some understanding about it enough that we can connect to what it means that I think can be really transformative to our understanding of future hope that we have in the resurrected Christ. So, together, men and women, I want us to imagine, think about, again, this picture of a woman experiencing labor pains. And the picture of a woman who is providing every need for a developing baby within her womb. This is the picture that we are given for understanding the hope we have in the future, in Jesus, in both our day-to-day and to come. And so when you think of this picture, who do you think is representing Jesus, and who do you think is representing humanity? Jesus is the mother, providing us, the children, everything we need. Food, shelter, protection, rest, you name it. And far more important than all of those things, the mother is the provider of oxygen to the baby. There's no closer relational experience we as humans can relate to than this. The mother is the one who is giving the baby the breath it needs to breathe, to live. The mother is literally resurrecting the baby, constantly giving it life so that it can live and grow and move and have its being. Without this occurring, the baby will never truly live on its own. It can't. And during the entire development of this baby, it grows to understand and identify the mother's voice. And the mother is as close as you can be to this child, never leaving it, always present while it sleeps, while it's awake and is fully present through arguably the most difficult life experience we will ever go through, which is being birthed into this world. Thank God I don't remember that. Um, now, with any image, you can tend to push it far beyond its symbolism, so I'm going to stop there. But this is a picture of the relational experience we can have with the resurrected Holy Spirit of God through Jesus. The impact of the resurrection means that we can now have a relationship with God through the Spirit that is always with us, that is always giving us life, no matter what life brings us. The Spirit of God leads us, provides for us, protects us, is with us, no matter where we go, no matter what we are going through. The Spirit of God is literally resurrecting us with every breath we breathe, and in doing so, it's reminding us of the gift of grace it is to be alive at every moment, that there is a purpose for being alive, whatever it is we're going through, and there's more to come. Amen? That is future hope. Now, when a mother is experiencing labor pains, what do they do? They groan. And it can get crazy, right? What do we do when we're going through the pains of life? We groan. We groan because we are hoping for something more, something not yet. The arrival of our baby, the healing of a disease, even when we sit down and the remote is not there. Why isn't it here? Why can't the Sounders score a stinking goal, right? I groan. 40,000 people were groaning. 
what do women do to help with this pain that's causing them to groan, that gives them hope to keep going for the future? They breathe. They take deep breaths. I remember our instructor who was giving us uh, tips on how to get through the birthing process. And I'm not recommending you doing this, but this was the training. And she kind of looked like the Cheshire cat. So if you can picture the Cheshire cat with this big grin, she'd go <laughs> over and over. It was the craziest thing. But that's what you did. You had to breathe, take deep breaths to get through the pain. What if we did this more? What if we paused more to breathe and to remember there is more to come? That God is with us, that we're not alone. That the same power that conquered the grave lives in us who follow Jesus. That the resurrected Jesus is resurrecting us all right now, wherever it is we are at, and that there's more to come. This is the impact of the resurrection of Jesus. This is what we attach our hope to for the future. The only one who conquered sin and death is with us, is for us, is sustaining us, has an inheritance in the future for us, is leading us, caring for us now and forever. Amen? That is a gift of grace that takes us into the future. No matter what it is we're going. Whatever it is we're going through, it cannot compare to what is to come. May we be people of hope. And may we be people who share this hope in Jesus with others. As we close, um, I'd like to invite the worship team and the prayer team to come forward. And as they do, I'd invite you to grab that bulletin. Inside there's that connection card. And uh, if you could flip it over on the back there's a space for you to respond, and I have a couple questions. They're just designed to be ways of pondering, reflecting, applying what we talked about. Um, and even if you just answer one, that would be fantastic. Um, question number one, super simple. On a scale of one to ten, how hopeful would you say you are? And I want to be clear. When, you di when you're experiencing difficult stuff, how hopeful are you? Scale of 1 to 10, how hopeful are you when you get through difficult things? Number two, be honest. When it comes to your day-to-day, -day, would you say you tend to live more by the flesh or by the Spirit? Number three, what percentage of your day-to-day -day would you say you are aware of and engaged with the Holy Spirit? And this is all relational. And number four, what is something you can do to help you more actively engage in the Spirit? As I said, even if you just respond to one, that'd be fantastic. Um, as you leave today, those wood boxes that Greg talked about, if you could drop that connection card in there, that would be fantastic, as we love to hear from you, and we love to pray for you. Um, in a moment, the band is going to play a song instrumentally for a few moments to give you a little more space to respond. Um, please also know that our prayer team is up here. If you need prayer for any reason, please take advantage of that. And if today, after hearing this conversation, you've been thinking to yourself, I have not experienced this living by the Spirit. Or maybe I've never heard this before and I want this. I want to 
have future hope in Jesus. You can mark that on your connection card and someone will get in touch with you. You can talk to me. After you can talk to someone right next to you. Prayer team would love to talk with you as well. After a few minutes of music, uh, Brian's going to invite us to join together to sing a song of response. And it's a new song we heard earlier today in our service, and I think it really speaks to the victory that we have in Jesus uh, that gives us a hope for the future. Uh, so please stay with us as we sing that as well. I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, we again celebrate the impact of the resurrection. We thank you that it has a past, present, future impact. And as a result of our relationship with you, God, we are overwhelmed by what you've given us. Your grace is amazing. To be called your children, to have a future inheritance, the same of that give to Jesus, to have life, to have a, a breath to breathe in the very moment of every moment of our lives, no matter what we're going through, how could we possibly find words to thank you? God, I pray for anyone here that's going through something hard right now, who's suffering, that is experiencing something of the, the webs that we've attached to falling apart in our suffering. us to take a breath, help us to remember you're with us, that there's more to come, and that we can attach ourselves to you, the only one victorious over anything the world could throw at us, the only one to conquer death, the one who can take us And God, help us as, as we breathe our breath every single day in any moment, whether it's in the beauty, the moment of sunshine and Mount Rainier's out to those frustrating, difficult places. Help us not to forget your presence, sustaining us, giving us life, leading us, taking us forward. And God, help us share that with others, the hope for the future we have in you, Jesus. Pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.